this is Generation Justice. I'm Sam Lechuga. And I'm Tamara Kalaki. Generation Justice is a multimedia movement that trains youth to harness the power of media for social change. Tonight, we're dedicating the hour to our community. We're happy to welcome Kira Luna and Travis McKenzie, who are part of planning this year's Riquera a Cesar Chavez March and Celebration. They'll talk with us about this yearly celebration and the events leading up to the Marcha y Fiestas. We'll also hear from New Mexico in Focus host, Jean Grant, about the status of behavioral health in our state. Before we begin the program, we'll start off with our first tune of the evening. Here is Harvest Time by Jimmy Shendo and Moeti. As we do every year, we're giving some time to the organizers of the Recuerda a Cesar Chavez March and Celebration. This is an event that celebrates the life of Cesar Chavez, honors his legacy, and recognizes the struggles that farm workers still face today. We are honored to welcome Kira Luna and Travis McKenzie, who will talk about the Recuerda a Cesar Chavez March and Celebration, plus the events leading up to this yearly fiestas. Here is GJ Fellow, Kateri Zuni, with Kira Luna and Travis McKenzie. Hello, I'm Kateri Zuni, and right now I'm speaking with Kira Luna and Javis McKenzie of the Recuerda Cesar Chavez Committee. The committee organizes various civic events and community engagement opportunities to build on the legacy of Cesar Chavez. Welcome to Generation Justice, Kira and Travis. Will you please introduce yourselves? Sure, thanks for having us today. So my name's Kira Luna, and I am the co-chair this year of the committee. And what's up? Uh, it's an honor to be here. I'm Travis McKenzie. I'm on the Day of Service Learning Subcommittee. So as I understand it, uh, the Recuerda Cesar Chavez Committee is involved with many different events. Can you tell me a little bit about the events leading up to the Marcha this weekend? We're really excited that we get to celebrate the legacy of Cesar Chavez and the ongoing work of farm workers all across the country for over a week. And so we're going to kick it off on the 24th, which is a Thursday, and we have an awesome event that takes place. We call it the Day of Service. The Day of Service is just amazing. We get over 350 kids to come to the historic Sanchez Farm, which is a 300-year-old farm in the South Valley, and each class that comes receives an educational workshop from the Legacy Committee on the work of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and farm workers, so they come really excited and knowledgeable and then we break out into a blessing. Some of the youth have said that's their favorite part of the whole day, and it's a way where we can all come together and just heal and think about the day and think about what we're gonna do. And, and then we break off into rotations. There's so many amazing uh, workshops. There's gonna be workshops on acequias, soil erosion. There's gonna be mural making, teatro campesino with the camp students, uh, garden planting and repurposed pallets in the garden with the rural student project. Kids Cook's gonna be there doing some cooking uh, activities. There's gonna be storytelling. There's gonna be composting and using solar ovens, screen printing with the working classrooms. Valle de Oro's gonna be doing a workshop. The UNM Green Team's gonna do a workshop. 
Bradley from La Placita Gardens will be leading a workshop at the Hoop Houses there and at their farm. Uh, there's going to be a flag-making station, a UFW flag-making station with Tatiana and uh, the Native Plants and Their Uses workshop with Cesar Gonzalez from New Day Youth and Family Services. So it's just going to be amazing. I'm really proud of it. And thank you to the Day of Service Subcommittee because so many people have done so much work to make that happen. And give the young people that experience to come out to a farm and learn. And I think in the legacy of Cesar Chavez, that's really what education is all about. And education truly is about serving others and taking care of our earth and coming together. And that's something that we can uh, uplift through this day and teach the kids about coming together, different cultures, different walks of life, all to work together and celebrate peace and harmony and everything that Cesar was about. So... And then on Saturday, the 26th, we have our huge community event. So it kicks off with a marcha, and that begins at 1030. We're going to meet at the National Hispanic Cultural Center, and then we'll march through the historic Barrelas neighborhood. And after the march, we'll meet back at the National Hispanic Cultural Center for our fiesta. And that has a bunch of really cool elements to it. So we have a kid's corner where kids can come with their family, learn about Cesar Chavez. We have a stellar entertainment lineup throughout the day. And then following that on uh, March 29th through the 31st, um, there's a bunch of UNM students that are hosting the Farm Worker Awareness Week at the University of New Mexico. And there'll be celebrations each day. Uh, March 29th is about struggles, past and present, the history of the UFW, Cesar Chavez, and farm workers. And then on Wednesday, March 30th, it's going to be all about Dia de la Mujer and celebrating La Mujer and Campesinas. Uh, and there's also going to be a blood drive that day, uh, Cesar Chavez blood drive. And then on the 31st, it's Student Appreciation Day and Cesar Chavez's birthday celebration. We're about to celebrate the 23rd year of Cesar Chavez Day. Why is it important to continue to celebrate that legacy? We are incredibly excited that we have this opportunity and that we've had it for 23 years coming together as a community committee to celebrate the legacy, not only of Cesar Chavez, um, so he co-founded the United Farm Worker Union with Dolores Huerta, and so we always honor them, but really it's about celebrating past and present farm workers and all of the work that they do to feed our families across this country. And it's really important to know that we're celebrating social justice victories and ongoing struggles within the movement. And we sort of see it as it's not just one particular issue we're looking at. We're looking at all of the issues that face our communities, but through a specific lens of farm workers and the specific struggles that they go through for fair wages um, to make sure that they are not exposed to toxic chemicals, um, to make sure that they're not experiencing things like sexual violence in the field. And the list really goes on, and that's why we really take an intersectional look at what's happening within farm worker communities and their, how that impacts their families and in the larger communities. I definitely agree, not only with the need to paint social justice as an intergenerational um, initiative, but also to get people to recognize that Cesar Chavez and this legacy of social justice work applies to everybody, even though you might not recognize it in your own life. I know that each of you, in your own way, um, through your work or through your family history, has ties to agricultural work 
or farm working. What does this legacy and this work mean to you personally? I moved back to Albuquerque in 2014, and I went to the celebration at the National Hispanic Cultural Center, and I immediately sort of had a sense of peace going there because I felt like this is a community celebration that recognizes my culture, but also my family's history as farm workers in California. And so I immediately wanted to join the committee the following year to sort of get in on the action. Um, really, for me, it's about honoring my grandparents and then my father and the work that they did in the fields and knowing that all of their struggles and all of their sacrifices have blessed me and have led me to where I'm at today. And so it's a way to give back to my community in the same way that they did. Um, they were providing food, and, and I want to provide education to the community. Yeah, and uh, I first got involved back in the day when the march was actually starting from the South Valley. It eventually evolved into the concept of the day of service learning and really doing something strategic for the young people. So, yeah, and I'm actually first generation. I was adopted uh, and got citizenship. And so immigrant rights and farm worker rights are really close to my heart, too. And I feel like it's a responsibility to continue to raise awareness about the struggles of our people that are dealing with these things, the injustices and the inequities going on in our migrant farm worker community. Um, we don't think about it, but we go to the grocery store and we buy really cheap fruit and vegetables that are really cheap because corporations aren't paying people a livable wage to pick them and I feel like we need to raise awareness because people don't really think about that and continue to support these corporations that are doing what I would consider unjust things and practices and business practices and and we've come a long way I mean I feel like you know a lot of rights have been achieved for farm workers but it's still a reality that there's a lot of struggle and uh, for me our history of agriculture in New Mexico is very special and you know it's always that we work as a community to grow food and we share the harvest, we trade with each other and we share and those kinds of things, you know, are denied from our migrant farm workers where they'll be working with all this, you know, food and won't be able to take that same food home to their families, you know, or all the conditions Kira was talking about and that's what social justice is all about. It's very dynamic and there's a lot of ways to look at it, but the real deal is that we're hearing people's stories. We're talking about how we can make it better, how we can educate people, how we can fight and and work hard to create changes, positive changes in our communities and for people that are struggling and the backbone of our agriculture across the country. I agree with that and I also think with our current social climate, I guess, it's so important to have events like these and, and voices like these, you know, just out there and keeping it real. <laughs> Where can our listeners go to learn more about all of these events? So we have all of the information listed on our website, www.cesarchavezenm.org. Or if it's easier for folks, um, they can call 505-246-2261 for more information. And for those of you who are on Facebook, that's really the most up-to-date information um, for the actual event. And then we have a separate Facebook event for one of the bands that's going to be coming, Las Cafeteras. And so if you search us, you'll find us. And um, that's really up-to-date information about the fiesta and the marcha and also a little bit of information about the day of service. 
Is there anything else that you would like to mention? We are just really excited to invite the entire community out. It is a free celebration. It's definitely family-friendly. We would love to have you join us on the 26th, the National Hispanic Cultural Center, 1030 for the march, and then events and entertainment will begin at 12. Yeah, I'd uh, like to shout out a couple youth that we've been working with. Uh, Victoria from the camp program at UNM is just an amazing young woman who's been doing amazing stuff for the Day of Service uh, subcommittee. And uh, Tatiana from Atrisco Heritage has been organizing and really getting young people excited about this movement and food justice. And so I uh, definitely wanted to shout out all the, the youth that are bringing that youth power to the, to the table and, and the youth voice. And also just shout out all the 350 plus kids that are going to be coming out. We're really excited. I think it's just an amazing day, you know, where we got so many youth just chanting Si Se Puede or Que Viva La Tierra or whatever they're doing. It's just so much excitement. And uh, we really want just families to come out, come enjoy the day. If, you, if you're into it, come march. It's a way we can sacrifice and give ourselves to the movement and remember what that's like to march for justice and march as a community. And then celebrate. There's going to be good food. There's going to be amazing music. Shout out to Burke Sol. Uh, they're also going to be playing one of my favorite bands. There's going to be tabling, live screen printing, um, all that good stuff. So bring the whole familia, abuelos, the niños, you know, everybody. Um, just come on out and have a good time. That sounds really great. And thank you guys for joining us and for all this great work that you're doing in our community. We appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to Generation Justice for supporting our committee and the work that we do. It's great seeing youth come together to remember Cesar Chavez, a man who changed the agricultural business for the better. Knowing that his work did not go unnoticed shows that dedication and persistence can get you far. Kara and Travis, I am so grateful that you both continue to support the farm workers movement. It is inspiring to see courageous leaders still making social changes happen for our generation. Thank you for everything you do. Now, to give a glimpse of the fiestas, here is Burkesol playing Protect the Sacred. Historically, New Mexico has faced challenges in providing comprehensive, integrated, and culturally appropriated behavioral health services. In 2013, the state of New Mexico audited and accused 15 established behavioral health providers of fraud. As a result, services were impacted and in some cases even lost. Five Arizona companies were then contracted to take over patient care. This resulted in 10,000 less people receiving services between 2012 and 2013, according to the Interagency Behavioral Health Collaborative. Generation Justice began following this crisis and developed a multimedia campaign. As part of our ongoing commitment to elevating this campaign, we have continued to find ways to understand this crisis and to inform you, our community. In this spirit, we are happy to welcome Jean Grant, the host of New Mexico In Focus. We invited Mr. Grant to join us as a journalist to discuss New Mexico's behavioral health care system. 
Here is GJ Fellow Christina Rodriguez with Jean Grant. My name is Christina Rodriguez, and I'm here with Gene Grant, the host of New Mexico in Focus, and he's also the host of The Line on KNME for 10 years, where he has covered lots of issues in New Mexico, including behavioral health. Welcome to Generation Justice. Nice to be here, Christina. Wonderful. To start off, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm from Boston originally, moved here in 1989. I have two girls that go to UNM as well, and they love it. I started off in the newspaper business here, writing for the old Albuquerque Voice, a weekly paper that's gone. Then I moved on to the Albuquerque Tribune, which is gone. Maybe it's me. Every time I join a newspaper, it goes out of business, apparently. Uh, And did columns for the Tribune for quite a number of years, and then the Journal as well. And around that time, this would be uh, 10 years ago, as you mentioned, I got the call from Channel 5. They were starting a new show called Mexico in Focus and The Line, and went into audition, and uh, here we are 10 years later, and it's it's been wonderful since. That's great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about your role as a journalist covering the New Mexico behavioral health system? Absolutely. You know, this issue for me particularly has been a particular focus the past few months for my work at uh, KNME because I think we have an opportunity to talk about something in a way that's difficult to do in a newspaper format or a television news reporting format, and that is what are the consequences of these decisions for, for the behavioral health system that we've had here in New Mexico. And uh, uh, I think as a reporter, I, I take that that quite seriously to be able to, to, to expose those kind of stories. I work closely with someone who's very close to KUNM here as well, Sarah Gustavus, who's our mm-hmm. producer at, uh, at our show. Uh, she and I have had extensive conversations about this behavioral health issue, and specifically, what is our obligation to the community what is our role to the community to explain this issue? And how can we do something perhaps a little bit different, a little bit better than the rest of the media outlets in explaining how behavioral health issues are, affect everybody, basically? Mm-hmm. In these past 10 years, what have you noticed covering that, like covering all the freezes, the changes, right. the cuts? What have you learned? Well, honestly, what I've learned is getting behavioral health issues on the radar is still a difficulty mm-hmm. in this state and in this city. You would think... We've had a number of tragedies. We've had we've had officers who have been killed. We've had any number of tragedies in our city that can all point to perhaps with better behavioral health services out there, perhaps these things might not be happening. And I think there's a frustration that I share with everybody else that, you know, there seems to be a subset of people in Albuquerque who are talking about this vigorously and really working hard at it, a whole bigger subset of folks who don't seem to understand that this is actually an important issue. We have to have a a bigger uh, community discussion, in in my view, about behavioral health services, how we can provide them, how we're all on the boat here, how we all are obligated here to provide services, as a matter matter of fact. It's a part of a democracy. It's how it works. It's a part of how we take care of each other, you know. And something has fallen off here where our jails and other places are now our behavioral health centers for people to to get help. And then you add in things like, we had in our last legislative session discussions about decreasing behavioral services in our school systems for young people, something I'm very opposed to. I, I think it's, it's madness. I just really feel strongly about this point that you, you cannot have these kind of discussions about pr- behavioral health without understanding priorities to the entire community. Mm-hmm. It can't be just a dollars and cents issue. It can't be about $19 million being hacked out of you know, the Human Services Department without understanding what those what that impact would be about. In my view, I don't, I don't think that's 
you know, an unreasonable thing to, to ask, but we need to keep pushing at legislators. We need to keep pushing at decision makers to say, look, this has to be a priority for our community. If, if we want less violence in our community, if we want less problems in our community, take it from that angle. But if you want to be a human being about it, why don't we take it from that angle? I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that you said that because this isn't just data. It isn't just right. statistics. It's not just the dollar sign. Like These are human beings yep. and living very human lives. What did the behavioral health system look like when you started compared to what it looks like now? When I, when I go back in my mind's eye to before this problem happened, I specifically think about, I've, I've spent a lot of my time here, this, my 26 years in, in uh, the North Valley. Mm-hmm. So Hogaris was a big part of my, honestly, my daily life, meaning I had friends, peers who had family members who got services from Hogaris. It's like part of the, Hogaris was part of the landscape. It was part of how we just did our business in the North Valley. It was part of, you know what I mean? It was like just as important as any store, for God's sake. When I drive by, you know, to your question, and I see that empty parking lot now, I, I mean, I can't believe it. I honestly, it, it, pain, it gives me a very deep pain. I wonder what has been solved here? What is the North Valley better off not having Hogaris? Of course not. These things are all local. Trying to find services for people when you have to go further and further the miles. Mm-hmm. You have less and less people, you know, participating because there's more problems that way. You have to have services in folks' backyards. You have to. And the fact that Holgaris, you know, you cannot replicate 40 years of public service overnight after something closes. That's a huge loss for the community. And that's just one example out of 15. It just gives me a deep pain in my heart when I think about what's happened there. I, I just, I find the whole thing, it, it was so reckless, it just never needed to happen. And, 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 and people get hurt by this. So when I first came here, I honestly thought, generally speaking, in general terms, we were getting some stuff done. However, it's like everything else in life, uh, vulnerabilities are always the difficulty, and we were vulnerable. But I will say this, perhaps that's the opportunity. Perhaps we've all learned a lesson here. And over time, we can get back to where we were with those 15, but actually increase those numbers. That's what would please me, that we could mm-hmm. take this situation to the next step. And maybe the, the event you've got coming up, you know what I mean? There's, that's part of that opportunity to say, okay, look, this happened. Let's get back to par. Let's get back to where we were. But let's t- let's talk about where we need to go for our kids even further than where we were before. Do you want to talk a little bit more about our upcoming event? Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's a brilliant idea. I think when I think when you see the the caliber of people who are showing up, I think that speaks to to what's going on. You know, representatives from all the congressional folks and and some senators. People are ready for the next step, and, and you're providing a platform where folks can come in the public and say, this is flat out unacceptable. We need to move further and, f- and farther and take this to a place that really does something for our children, our families, our loved ones, our seniors. I mean, every, everybody that needs services, our veterans, I mean, everybody that's out there. You know, there was, I watched Congresswoman Luhan Grisham's uh, talk on the floor asking for an investigation. Now, that's a very tough thing to ask for, but that speaks to where we are now about this. I don't think she did that lightly, but I think the event could be a springboard to something, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, and it, it speaks to the vulnerabilities that you talk right. about, vulnerabilities in the system, vulnerabilities of telling your story of right. what's happened in the system. Mm-hmm. What have you really learned from having those conversations? Right. The human stories, you mm-hmm. know, staying with that vulnerability word. Any, if you're in a family situation with someone who needs these kind of behavioral health services, 
it's any one small thing can upset the whole thing. It's like a set of dominoes going over. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a routine. You know, it's really critical when you're working with somebody, a family member, you have to have a routine. And so once that routine goes, it is a huge difficulty to reestablish a routine. Um, I, I think there's just so many, you know, things, small things that I, I, I've been told, like we get a lot of emails at the station and letters come in during this behavioral health thing. And folks tell their stories and, and they're very heartbreaking to me, you know, from all over the state. I really, I find them very upsetting that somebody who was, you know, very vulnerable and hanging on by a thread basically has to find a whole, starting from zero, not just going back 50%, but starting from ground zero with new people who were not engaged from Arizona, who were clearly not engaged in the process here. Honestly, it was set up for failure. Um, the taxpayers on the hook for it here in New Mexico, and the fact that the folks who lost out on that were folks who needed services, and folks were not as engaged as they could have been. We've got some work to do, basically. <laughs> yeah. Compared to that, what was it like talking with journalists and mm-hmm. advocates? You know, that's a good question. You know, journalists, I think, were generally ready to go when this broke. Mm-hmm. The decision based off of that initial report that they got from that firm in Boston that we all paid, meaning taxpayers here in New Mexico paid $3 million for, that said there were there was credible evidence of fraud here, there, and everywhere. You know, once um, that report was released by the Attorney General, I remember a moment just reading it through and thinking, wow, we were had. You could just really feel it, like there's no proof here. I don't read anything that says there's any proof here. The thing that got the journalists really going was this idea that they were working inside the rules of the ACA, meaning Human Services Department, could in fact take that money away while this was being figured out, which in fact tr- proved to be wrong. That was They did not have to do that. They did not have to take the money away from these providers while that investigation was going on. That was the opening. That was like, wait a minute now. <laughs> we need to look into this. Something's not quite right here. And I think the press, this is a classic situation where the press has to be part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, telling those stories from people who have been hurt by this, you know, the press conference, I'm going back to Hogaris, where the executive director in tears talking about how 40 years is, you know, suddenly over, you know, that's our job is let people know that there are consequences to all this kind of stuff. And I think we've generally done a pretty good job of it, honestly. I, I, I think I'm rather proud of the whole press corps, the way we've gone after this. Because if we had been asleep on this, it would have been a, an utter tragedy. So, yeah. you know, good on everybody for being so forthright on this. Yeah. So what do you think journalists should keep in mind when they're reporting on this issue? For me personally, my personal preference would be people of color. Are our Native brothers and sisters being taken care of? Are our elder Hispanic brothers and sisters being taken care of? I mean, you know, what is the deal here? It's not a race issue, certainly. I don't think I don't think we, you know, I'm not accusing HSD of parsing services that way, certainly. But it, now that we have this crisis, it is traditional that people of color suffer the most. It, it, it just is. And that's not just a New Mexico thing. That's just a, a, a worldly thing. And so I think for me personally, you know, being on task on what's happening to people of color as we go through this process, I think that's going to be important to me personally in how we we choose to watch this crisis. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I appreciate how you use the word crisis Mm -hmm. to really describe the urgency and like the reach of this kind of um, subject and issue. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the role of journalism in a crisis situation? Uh, To be accurate. First, yeah, that's that's always that's always the struggle when it's a crisis because information moves so quickly, 
And the other problem is in a crisis, people are not necessarily accurate themselves. The people that you're interviewing, they can be a little hyperventilated at times or a little, you know, a little bit. It's tough to parse through those kind of things in a crisis and really settle people down and really kind of dig into what really the situation is about. When I watch our my peers do their thing, you know, there's been a, some wonderful reporting that's been wonderfully stepped back. And what I mean by that is it, it, they've taken it in stages as more information factually comes out, then we get another piece, another piece, another piece, and people have stayed with it, and I've really, really liked that. That's going to be important, and, and I, I would also say that th- that continues. There's some good reporting continuing now to this day, and it's going to continue. There's, there is no way the press here in Albuquerque or statewide is going to let this go by any stretch. I mean, there's so many repercussions that are going to echo for a long time from this decision. So we're, we're on task on this one for the <laughs> long haul. <laughs> what do you think is the role of community journalism in this situation, and how does it intersect with um, mm-hmm. race equity? First, I'm a, I'm a proponent of community journalism in ways that it can happen. Um, I'm, I'm one to say reporting up the block. Sometimes it could be just further, far enough, as they say, mm-hmm. just reporting what's going on around the corner. You know, I, I think in this case, with behavioral health, a real close to the curb, real close to the street reporting, um, again, picks up on those stories of what's happening once decisions are made. I think that's the, the good role of community reporting and how that intersects with that nexus of race. Very simply to me is if part of that dynamic of community reporting includes reporters of color in that mm-hmm. community reporting, we're going to get some good results in those stories. But if it's not, you know, we're going to have a difficulty. The good news is Generation Justice, the diversity here speaks to where Albuquerque is on so many levels, you know, and that, that's a difference. That makes a difference. And I think it's critical here. I mean, look, I'm, I'm part of an ethnic group that's 3% of the statewide population. I, I have a sensitivity to these things. <laughs> and so, you know, seeing anybody of color reporting anything thrills me. So, uh, and this is the, but this is the role you guys have, you know, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, as a woman of color, it thrills me to be able to talk to other reporters of Thank color. you. Exactly. It's a rare thing for me, actually. <laughs> very, very <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> what do you think is important for the public to know about um, what has been going on with behavioral health in New right. Mexico? I love that question because I think what's really important is we have to stay really tuned in the decision-making process in Santa Fe. We've got a system where in one fell swoop, one person can make one decision. You can have this kind of impact. Mm-hmm. This is the lesson we need to take away from this whole situation, that we, all of us as citizens, need to be much more on task looking at all these departments that deal with these kind of sensitive issues like this. Where are their heads as elected uh, people about behavioral health issues? So I think we've turned a corner. I think all of us understand that we have to all, this is, has to be a priority of some sort. I mean, it just does. It's a quality of life issue, not for folks, not only for folks who need the, the, the services, but for all of us, it's a quality mm-hmm. of life issue because everybody gets involved at some level. I really appreciate the event coming up. I think, you know, Generation Justice just really stepping out in front of the issue and saying, look, okay, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How do we press up our elected officials? How do we how do we press up the press and say, look, you need to make this a priority when it comes to these, these gubernatorial forums and mayoral forums, you know? All the things that we need to do as people that, that, that move things forward, now is the time for our voice. And so I'm really grateful that Generation Justice exists so we can do that. Yeah, I'm totally grateful. And I'm grateful to have reporters like you that are making sure that this dialogue is going on in our community. I appreciate that, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I, I think there's, I, I want to say, again, my congratulations. 
um, to you guys and and uh, and to KUNM. And you know, I'm inspired by this town hall coming up. I'm thinking my my, my own head like, hmm, town halls. This is actually a good idea. <laughs> I gotta, you know what I mean? To get more people talking about these things. And but then also, I think it's important that people understand that outlets like this are critical to this process as well. You know, keep doing your thing. Thank you so much, Gene. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, and it's been a really awesome opportunity to be able to talk to you about some real issues going on. I appreciate your help, absolutely. Thank you, Gene Grant, for taking this time to talk with us about the status of the behavioral health crisis. I also want to thank you, Gene, for your work and your passion around behavioral health. As a woman of color and a storyteller, it is inspiring to learn from your experiences. We invite you to join at the hashtag Crisis Town Hall on Behavioral Health at the Chemo Theater this upcoming Wednesday, March 23rd at 7 p.m. We'll be screening a few of our videos from the hashtag Crisis campaign, and our New Mexico congressional delegation will be sending in video messages informing us of the congressional action they are advocating for. Plus, we'll have a panel discussion with representatives from the Attorney General's Office, New Mexico Senator, Gerald Ortizipino and County Commissioner Maggie Hart Stebbins and others will be there to answer questions about the behavioral health crisis. Our next songs are We Are One, Ole Ola by Pitbull, JLo, Claudia Liet, and Wake Me Up by Avachi featuring Aloe Black. end of tonight's program. Thank you all for joining us this evening. We'd like to thank Kira Luna and Travis McKenzie for talking with us about the Recuerda a Cesar Chavez March and celebration. Another big thank you to Jean Grant for talking with us about the behavioral health system here in New Mexico. We'd also like to thank Kamaria Umi for engineering this evening's show. Production assistance came from Tamara Kalaki, Kateri Zuni, George Luna Pena, Christina Rodriguez, Polly Danetkla, Jennifer Lim, and Roberta Rayo. And last, but certainly not least, much appreciation to all of our youth members here at Generation Justice. We couldn't do what we do without you. Stay connected with us. Check out our website, generationjustice.org, where you can listen to all of our past radio programs, see music playlists, read our blogs, watch videos, and so much more. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe. We're also active on social media, so please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, Guan Alma Health Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm Sam Nechuga. And I'm Tamara Kalaki. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, 
So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Now, here's some more music. This is serious music we are dealing with here. Well, it's serious music. Muevele, muevele y alta. Muevele, muevele y alta. Muevele, muevele y alta. No le muevas tanto, alto. Este es el ritmo de mi cumbia que te va a mover. La tecno cumbia que te traigo te da el placer para que muevas tu... Felt a figure before